Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Today on The Blunt Post with Vic, I interview Senator Anthony Portentino, as well as Council Member Lindsay Horvath, who is also a candidate for the LA County Board of Supervisors. Senator Anthony Portentino represents California's 25th State Senate District, which stretches along the 210 freeway from Sunland to Hunga to Upland, parts of the San Fernando and San Gabriel Valleys. Supporting public education, mental health, and sensible gun control have been priorities for Senator Portentino during his time in office. The Senator currently serves as the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee and a select committee to foster trade between California, Armenia, and Artsakh. Senator Portentino grew up in New Jersey and was awarded the prestigious Ellis Island Award in 2019. Thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. So let's talk about um, this campaign. It's election year again. And uh, in every two years, we say this is the most pivotal year. And yet here we are again. This is another very pivotal year. In this sort of, hopefully it's post-COVID recovery, although we have monkeypox sort of uh, concerning us, uh, where do you, how, what's your perspective on where we are well, I, I mean, I think, you know, like many Americans, I'm, you know, I'm very distraught over, you know, the divided nature of our country, um, you know, the partisanship in a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm no fan of Donald Trump and, and the, the, the fealty, the devotion to, to him. I, I, I just, it's, it's scary. It's, it's um, concerning, you know, the attack on democracy, uh, attack on women, um, you know, that's not what America should be about. And, you know, it's, it's very, very disappointing and very disconcerting, in particular, the attack on democracy, you know, the rule of law. Um, you know, you had somebody just yesterday, you know, go into an FBI office, you know, in body armor and armed. Yeah. You know, you know, you had people storm the Capitol on January 6th, you know, um, and thinking they were doing it for the right reason when they were being led astray and, and, you know, but again, you know, the personal responsibility of those folks too, you know, do your homework, um, you know, absolutely. Don't, don't just follow somebody blindly. Um, that has proven time and time again, they're not trustworthy. I mean, yeah, Trump definitely set us back, uh, decades. Of course, the damage, the biggest damage he did was to the Supreme court. Absolutely. Uh, decades to come. And the politicization of the Supreme Court. I mean, yeah. you know, when it's a, you just see it when it's a, a issue of redistricting that impacts minority communities, the court is very quick to be an activist. And when it's a redistricting issue in a state where it, the redistricting issue favors Republicans, they say, well, no, that's up to the state. So the, the inconsistency in how they level the law and precedent is, is very troubling. And yet in a state like California, where 
Republicans, for the most part, can't really win election fairly. Um, they issue recalls to force themselves in, which, uh, again, as you said, it's such double standard and hypocrisy and inconsistency. Yeah, you saw you just saw in Arizona the woman running for governor when she was behind, she was saying it was a rigged, fraudulent election, and then three days later she's winning. Suddenly it was it was all good. It was all good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the good the good news is, I I mean, if you can call it good news, is the state of California had good resistance during the uh, Trump years, and uh, for the last year or two with uh, COVID. I think with with when I say we, I mean you and many other elected officials have done a great job of, of keeping California really on top of things. Uh, what's your perspective on where we are as a state and also your district? Um, well, you know, we are we are a, a progressive state. Um, we you know we lead the nation on environmental protection, uh, on inclusive inclusivity, on on many issues. You know. California is a national leader, um, and it takes that role seriously. You know, we're the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, and so, you know, our protection for workers, our protection for women, um, and, uh, you know, those are, you know, things to be proud of, you know, and we're solidly, we're solidly progressive and, you know, we're going to continue to be that, there, you know, there's no, no, no threat to that agenda. Now, I will say um, you do see, you know, law and order um, playing a bigger role in some campaigns than they did, you know, five years ago. Um, and I do think that, you know, most people want to go to bed at night and know that the car that they parked in their driveway is going to be there and want to know when their kids walk to school, they're going to walk to school safely. And so I think, you know, all of us and should look at those as nonpartisan issues, you know, public safety and the role of, of society to, to educate kids and protect children. You know, those, those roles and responsibilities should be taken seriously by all. Absolutely. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Senator Anthony Portentino. Aside from the the most pressing issues, your, your accomplishments are just countless. Uh, I was going through uh, some of the press releases and just astounded at how much time, like, does he ever go to sleep? Uh, and, you know, one of them was something that's really important to me. Uh, congratulations, by the way, you just received the National Alliance on Mental Health Award and your, for your dedication to mental health, something that we don't talk about enough. There's a lot of stigma around it, uh, and you've done a lot of work on that. It's a, it's definitely not just a progressive issue, but it's one that should be at the forefront because uh, I think it's a, it's a major issue in our, in the way we live. Yeah, you know? mental health, men, mental health affects every family. It, you know, knows no demographic, no economic, socioeconomic boundary. You know, <clears throat> the challenges we all face in our families are real and, and kindred and, you know, having lost a brother to suicide, it really, you know, brought me into that club in a sense that people felt comfortable talking to me about their own family mental health issues. Once I became a survivor, 
um, made me a safe space. And I learned more about, you know, friends and neighbors that I never knew had somebody struggling with a mental health issue or had a brother or an aunt or sister commit suicide. And, you know, we have a time right now post COVID where, you know, two out of five kids, teenagers think about suicide, three out of five uh, LGBT teenagers think about suicide. When we were young, it wasn't that way. You know, society has changed. Um, we have to change with it and we have to embrace mental health the same way we embrace physical health. Yeah, you brought up your brother, which is something I wanted to um, talk about. He died by suicide uh, many years ago. And uh, you're unique uh, for me as, as I'm, I'm, I'm both a gay, <laughs> a gay American and an Armenian American. So, uh, you know, you're, you've been such an advocate for both the Armenian American community and the LGBTQ plus community. And you were very close to your brother, um, who was the founder of the Gay and Lesbian um, Times. Right. And you've, you know, you've expressed your support for our community. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we sometimes live in a, sometimes we, it feels like we live in a bubble LA and we think these issues are sort of behind us, but we saw not just during the Trump administration, but, you know, if we just go outside of L.A. or outside of California, we see that, you know, 30 states in 30 states, you can still be fired for being gay. Right. Mm -hmm. so there's definitely a, there's definitely an attack on the LGBTQ plus community uh, across the country. Um, it's it's not again. We, you know, I think back of my brother in, in the 1970s, you know, being ostracized in high school and think we've made progress. And yes, we have, you know, we have marriage equality, but yet there's just as many people trying to take that away and demonizing and, and attacking, uh, in particular, kids mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, we allies have to be even more uh, out front and, and vociferous in our in our protections and our support and our our love for the LGBTQ community. I mean, it's, it's just something we have to work harder at. And, you know, obviously having an activist brother. I feel compelled to carry on his legacy and, you know, he fought for marriage equality. And, uh, the interesting thing about his newspaper is when he bought the paper, it was just called the gay times mm -hmm. because at the time people marketed to the gay community as separate communities. So there was a different, different magazines, different periodicals, different right. platforms for each segment of the community. My brother 40 years ago said, no, we're one community with one civil rights struggle. And that's when he added lesbian to the title of the paper. And it went from the gay times to the gay and lesbian times. And yeah. so that, you know, he became, that was the first major publication to market to the community as one community. And he was called the Harvey Milk of San Diego. Yeah, I, I, I use that. I use that phrase a lot. He, he, he was very, very influential in San Diego. Um, both from the, the advocacy perspective, the political perspective. And, uh, you know, Chris Kehoe became the first uh, LGBTQ member of the San Diego City Council. And my brother worked very hard to get her elected at the time. And, uh, and then she was followed by Tony Atkins and, um, and then Todd Gloria. And, you know, my brother was active in all of their early, you know, political uh, ascension. Um, and so I, you know, very proud. He gave a lot of support to the to the uh, LGBT center in San Diego, and, and very philanthropic in his in his efforts, and very outspoken. The editorial page of the newspaper was very very biting. It was very controversial, but you know, he, he liked to stir the pot. 
and that, that's healthy. It's activism. That's activism. Yeah. You, know, you, you can't, uh, you know, when you stop people pleasing, people aren't pleased. And sometimes uh, people aren't pleased for the queer community to be visible. So uh, we have to be activists. These days, it's, we can't afford not to be. Um, right. Before, you know, I do want to talk about your, your incredible legacy of uh, standing up for the Armenian American community and, and just Armenians, you know, when you've seen injustice and such. Because before that, I want to, um, you know, talk about something that's sort of at the forefront this year. Um, I mean, it has been for years, but this year especially, uh, and that's the unhoused. Um, you secured this, this, uh, a tremendous amount of money uh, for $23 million for um, your, your Senate Bill 1177 for affordable housing throughout Burbank, Glendale, and uh, Pasadena. Um, I, I always tell people, you know, housing issue is not going to be solved by one elected official or one agency. It's a major national issue, and, um, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a national issue, and it's just tough to, like, really have a like a fix-it plan, it's going to have to be in process. Where do you think, where do you think we're headed um, about this issue that's really become a, a major, you know, major challenge in, in California and especially in LA? Well, we have to combat it from a number of, of areas. I mean, I, you know, I go back to sort of an FDR model of, of economics, you know, the state should define what it wants and then fund it. You know, we want X number of affordable housing units. We want, you know, cities to, to take affordable housing seriously. And, you know, we need to, we need to fund it and require it. Um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on sort of cutting regulation and empowering the free market. Um, you know, more of a Reaganomics approach to housing and I favor more of a FDR approach. And so I'd like there to be more accountability, but I think the state needs to step up with resources. And we have over the last several years, we've put a lot of money into, into homeless and, and housing, not enough, um, but certainly we need more infrastructure. We need more wraparound services. We need more supply. Um, and we also then need to deal with the economic disparities. You know, what is driving people into homelessness? What is creating, you know, the, the lack of affordable housing from a from a macroeconomic perspective and an income perspective and, and an education perspective. And so we have to focus on those pieces of the puzzle as well. And then we also have the mental health component as well. You know, everybody likes to point to the mental health piece, but that's only part of the homeless situation. Um, a big chunk of it is structural economic disparity where you have, you know, middle-aged, you know, family where, they lose their job and, you know, lose their house. Um, and then you have, you know, working class family that can't afford to live in the communities they work in. I mean, so we can't lose sight of the economic piece uh, as well as the, the other side. You know, I always say politicians are good at, at, you know, a simple solution. They're not good at the sociology. And we have to make sure that we, we, we you know, don't do further harm by taking simplistic approaches, things, but we have to have, you know, resources and the will to do it to, to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. The disintegration of the middle class is a major factor. Um, 
and and the fact that California attracts, you know, we have half of uh, the nations unhoused here. So um, we do have to keep all of that in mind and not just sort of point to our politicians and, and think that they can just fix it with some magic wand. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Senator Anthony Portentino. Senator, you've been, a, you've, you've been sort of a, a pillar for the Armenian American community. This community that, you know, has had to live with the legacy of the genocide, sort of open wounds. And then, of course, in 2020, uh, it was all reopened um, with the with the invasion of Artsakh and massacre of 5,000 plus Armenians, indigenous Armenians. Um, and, uh, you know, you've done so many other things. I can't even list them all. Uh, you know, just most recently, you're support of the Armenian American Museum and such. Uh, and you went to Artsakh last year in November, uh, one of, I think, perhaps the first elected official to do so after the, after the, I don't call it war, I call it a massacre. Um, right. What are your thoughts about that? How was your experience in Artsakh? You know, I've been there four times now, um, and each time has been emotional for a different reason. Uh, obviously, the last time was post-invasion, post-occupation. Um, you know, that had its own realities and, and challenges, you know, going through 11 checkpoints, you know, nine of them are Russian checkpoints. Um, you know, that's in and of itself an experience. Um, going up to, to the front where, you know, I was literally 100 yards away from Azeri camps and meeting with, you know, not just soldiers at the front, but, uh, you know, townspeople and villagers who were still in their in their homes. You know, I toured, uh, you know, historic family residences that were destroyed by these areas. But yet the people that walked through the Cumberland buildings had a resiliency to them and a determination that is unparalleled. Um, you know, I remember one soldier saying to Zadeh in Armenian, you know, he said, this is our land. We're going to fight on our land and we're going to die on our land. You know, I mean, um, and I remember Zadi crying hearing that soldier. You know, I got the translation later, um, but, uh, you know, he held dirt in his hand when he said that. Um, it was a powerful moment. You know, in November, you know, you can see the Azeri infrastructure being built, you know, the, the determination of the Azeris to occupy, you know, this historic Armenian land. And then you see the resiliency in the villagers to not be displaced, you know, it's, it's, it's a powerful statement, but it also shows the, the uneven balance, you know, the Azeris, you know, versus townspeople, you know, they are fully mechanized military force um, against farmers. Yeah. You know, it's an unfair fight. Um, and obviously we saw, you know, thousands of, of ethnic Armenians suffer because of it. And, uh, but looking at the infrastructure, there's no question that the Azeris don't want to go anywhere. They, they, they want to be there for good. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not a it's not uh, a chapter that's over by any means. Continues and uh, uh, continues to be uh, just a massive humanitarian catastrophe. Um, any any uh, words of wisdom or hope? 
for uh, people who are listening? Well, I think the I think the hope is the resiliency of the people. The, the hope is the spark in people's eyes. You know, when they talk about their homeland, when they when they talk about you know why it's important for Artsakh to be sovereign and to be protected and to be recognized. Um, I think that's the hope. It's a it is a rallying cry, and I think the international community. You know, we need to continue to appeal to the international community to do more to recognize these civil rights and human rights abuses and atrocities. Um, you know, they're, they're real. Um, but then when you go, you know, I went to the Lady Cox Rehabilitation Center and, you know, in one room I was with soldiers suffering from PTSD. And then the next room I was with, you know, autistic five-year-olds and each one had a teacher working with them, you know, and you can't help but smile when you see the love of the, of you know, these young teachers helping five-year-old autistic children, and it's all happening in a war zone. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the inspiration here. Yeah, absolutely. We need to hear those. Um, Senator, as we, in the next two years, let's say, what, what are some of the things that are on your agenda, on top of your agenda? What do you think are the major challenges or just projects that you're working on? Well, I think... I think the mental health challenges are still going to be there. I think the, you know, we're going to see what the budget's going to look like next year. You know, we had a historic surplus this year and, you know, there's a lot of talk of, you know, having less resources. And so making sure we prioritize what's important, you know, public education, public health opportunity, making sure we prioritize those things uh, that most Californians want us to is going to be important. Wow. And uh, in terms of uh, people who want to get in touch with you, learn more, uh, if you can give us your website or any other means that people can get in touch. You know, my office is right here on Glen Oaks in Glendale. Um, you know, feel free to contact my office. Um, you know, I've got a great staff. Um, you know, I'm about, people send me Facebook messages as well. But, you know, don't hesitate to, to contact my district office. You know, we have... Uh, a great team. Arda Chakian takes care of Glendale and Talene is my district director. And, you know, we've got folks covering, you know, Pasadena and all the way through the East and, you know, we're here to help. So don't, don't be shy. Fantastic. Yeah. I, you're, you're definitely have a huge presence on social media. And uh, finally, any question I should have asked that I didn't or anything you'd like to no, this has been a nice conversation, my friend. Uh, happy to do it. I can't wait to see the movie. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about, this is a time for, you know, allies of the LGBTQ plus community to step up and, and, and be, be heard. Well, Senator, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Be well. Should I say hancho buchun? <laughs> thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic. Lindsay Horvath is the longest consecutively serving mayor of West Hollywood, leading the city in 2020 and 2021. She was elected to the West Hollywood City Council in 2015 and previously served from 2009 to 2011. Councilmember Horvath has a long history of civic and social justice advocacy. She's widely known for her work advancing the rights of women and LGBTQ people, as well as creating age-friendly, sustainable communities. 
She is now the frontrunner candidate for the LA County Board of Supervisors, endorsed by Supervisor Sheila Kuehl, who is retiring. Good morning, Councilmember Horvath. Thank you for being on the Blend Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. I always love coming onto the show. Oh, my pleasure. Of course, as, as most people listening know that you're also a candidate for LA County Board of Supervisors. Yes. Yeah, and you are uh, sort of up for District 3, um, yes. formerly Supervisor Sheila Kuehl's district. Yes. Who's in, uh, endorsed you, by the way. She has. And so many people have been joining our team. We're very excited. We were recently endorsed by the LA County Democratic Party. We were endorsed by the Democratic Party of the San Fernando Valley, the North Valley Democrats. Um, we're just really excited about how many people are joining our team. Uh, we've been endorsed by Senator Connie Leva. We've been endorsed by the Sierra Club. Um, our team just keeps growing. Mayor Garcetti. Yes, yes. Well, of course. Supervisor Solis and uh, yes. James, Janice Hahn, yeah. Yes, they've been with us for a little while, too. Those are some of the more recent ones. But um, yeah. Yeah, no, we're, our team has been growing. And I'm just really proud that it reflects the diversity of our district and of our county. We want our team to be something that people can see themselves in. And so we're really excited about everybody that's joining the team. Yeah. Fantastic. So I want to sort of talk as if some of our listeners may not be as familiar with the LA County Board of Supervisors do. We know the, the kind of influence and the kind of responsibility lays on the shoulders of the supervisors, but a lot of people are sort of confused as to what they do. You can give us sort of like the Reader's Digest version of that. Sure. Let me see how I do. Um, I, you know, the way I talk about LA County is that it is the social safety net for 88 cities plus the unincorporated area of our, of our region of our County. So that's all of the city of Los Angeles, 87 other independent cities, and then unincorporated area that is directly overseen by the County supervisors. So there are actually areas of each district that are not incorporated into another city. And so the, in those cases, the, um, supervisor for that district is essentially their mayor. They work with the planning department on any proposed developments and land use issues. Um, and so in addition to um, how it functions as the local government, there are more than 20 departments in LA County that serve various needs of all of the residents and stakeholders here. So uh, from homelessness and housing to mental health and public health, we certainly know the role that public health has played during this time of crisis. Um, it's the criminal justice system, foster care, child protective care, um, and uh, we also have an office of sustainability that created the county sustainability plan. We have the office of diversion and reentry um, as part of our criminal justice efforts, but not directly under a department. It's under uh, the county CEO's office. We have uh, LA County Assessor's office, and I know you're friends with Jeff Prang, who does that work. Different than the county tax collector, as he'll remind you, but that tax yes. collector is part of LA County's 
these uh, services as well. And so, um, so many, uh, all of these departments, so many people, more than 100,000 people in the county uh, work day in, day out to provide these services and care and support for people. Um, you know, often LA County is the last resort that people have to turn to for housing, for transportation, for food security, for healthcare. So it is essential that LA County really understands how to get those services delivered to people at the local level, meet people in their neighborhoods, understand their concerns, and work with them uh, to make sure that they have what they need. And that's why I got into this race, because I come from the local level. I've seen in my community where the county has been great, where the county has significant room for improvement. I also served as president of California Contract Cities Association. So I saw through the lens of other cities who contract for services with the county, this very same thing. And so I think it's really that perspective that is critical. You know, people who have been doing this work on the ground, seeing where those gaps in service are and how we turn that into action. Um, that's what I've done for 15 years at the local level in my community. And that's what I'm prepared to do as county supervisor. And I'm really excited about this opportunity to partner with people in their communities to find those solutions together. Fantastic. Um, that was a really thorough uh, explanation. And just sort of to give people um, a perspective, the LA County Board of Supervisors is responsible for allocation of just a tremendous amount of money. Um, yes. So this is a very important race. This may not be the most high profile election, <laughs> you know, item on your ballot, uh, but it is a, it's extremely important if you live in, a, in LA County to really pay attention to your candidates, uh, learn about um, Councilmember Horvath and what her um, you know, top priorities are and her views and uh, what she's planning to do, which let's go into that. So let's go into like the top- I just wanna to touch on one thing that you said though, that our budget at the, in LA County is nearly $40 billion every year. So nearly $40 billion are spent at the county level in theory, to improve the quality of life for Los Angeles residents, wherever you live in LA County. So yeah. it's not just Los Angeles city residents, all of Los Angeles County residents. So that's a lot of opportunities, a lot of, uh, a lot of investment directly into services that if you don't know about them, that's not good. But more importantly, we have to make sure that they are meeting you in your community where you need them most. And so you're absolutely right to raise that because a lot of times people focus on the mayor and that's an important race. They focus maybe on their city council members because they understand, you know, the impacts of certain land use choices or other things in their neighborhoods. But the county supervisors are, are critical to delivering those services at the local level and being a partner with your mayor, with your city council, with your local city staff, with people in your community to deliver services. So um, it's a really important role. So if you live in the cities that are incorporated, like Pasadena, Glendale, yes. uh, city of San Fernando, Malibu, yes. yes, this is still your race because it's LA County. So I know some of you think, uh, oh no, it's not, we're not in LA, we are in uh, you know, Arcadia, but no, this is, this is something you have to pay attention to. Yeah, so Burbank and Glendale and Arcadia are not in my district, but oh, San Fernando well, and Malibu district, are in my district. Yeah, so they are whole, part of LA County, you're exactly, right. Exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 
Right. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Council Member Lindsay Horvath, who is also running for the LA County Board of Supervisors. So tell us your district, though, the map of your district. Oh, my gosh. It's enormous. Listen to this. So it's part of Hollywood. Um, the area sort of around the Hollywood Bowl and then west of Laurel Canyon as you go up uh, into the valley. But starting um, at the most southern part of the district, it's part of Hollywood, West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, Century City, West LA, all the way to Santa Monica. Uh, It scoops around uh, Venice and Palms and sort of a Culver City adjacent area. And then it goes up into the valley. So Malibu, Agora Hills, the Topanga area, um, all the way up to Westlake Hidden Hills and Westlake Village. Um, And don't forget, you know, the areas just above sort of that southern area. So Bel Air, um, Palisades, you know, all of that. uh, Yeah. Yes, Holmby Hills. And then you go over to the East Valley, you have Pacoima, Silmar. It goes all the way north just to all of you. Um, we got uh, in this district where uh, we now have Granada Hills, we have um, Porter Ranch, um, but everything down through the Central Valley too. So uh, Reseda, Winnetka, Sherman Oaks, um, parts of Studio City. I mean, it is an enormous district. It is more than 2 million people in this district. We have the beautiful gem of the Santa Monica Mountains. We have uh, challenges of the Santa Susana area that needs to be cleaned up. And, uh, you know, the folks in Porter Ranch are hopeful about um, some change in Aliso Canyon. But, you know, there are issues throughout the district that will require this supervisor's attention, they must be addressed at the county level. So um, it's a really big district with very diverse interests and needs. And so you need somebody who's ready to roll up their sleeves and do the work and be out there in the community with folks, not just kind of sit uh, sit back and attend a meeting once a month. You know, it's, it's not a, I've heard people describe this as, you know, the best seat of elected government, and I'm really excited about it, but not because I'm looking for an easy way into government. I'm looking to do the hard work that people really want to see government do to change their lives because people are working too hard and struggling too much in this day and age. And we've seen you do that in your, in your you. current uh, position in your many, many years of public service. We've seen you m- more active than I would say most elected officials. I'm not afraid to say that, I appreciate uh, that. Thank without, you. <laughs> without naming any names. So let's talk about the top, you know, there's so many issues obviously, but let's sure. talk about the top uh, items on your agenda that, you know, you're going to tackle as soon as uh, you get into office. Absolutely. So issues that we hear most consistently throughout the district um, include obviously homelessness and housing, the challenges that we've been facing, the crisis that we are in, and who's going to fix it. Um, How do we keep our community safe? What does safety look like? How do we afford it? How do we make sure it's safety that we can trust? Um, How do we get people back to work and good jobs that afford themselves and their families a good quality of life, get their businesses back open after COVID? How do we reach a point of stability rather than being worried about uh, mandates and shutdowns? How do we uh, build out our regional transportation infrastructure? Because as a supervisor, I will also have a seat on the Metro board to talk about um, what services Metro provides and must provide in order to get people to the places they need to go throughout the county. 
And of course, the existential threat of climate change and uh, what that means, what we can be doing on the ground and the impacts that we've seen from extreme heat to wildfires, um, you name it, uh, access to clean water. Uh, you know, No more do I think we're going through periods of drought. I just think we're in a time of drought and we need to be more mindful of how we're conserving our water and all of our resources. So, um, so there are a lot of challenges that we have to face, but then there are also very unique um, unique circumstances to each neighborhood that I've been hearing, whether it's how we deliver mental health services, whether it's, you know, as I mentioned a bit about wildfire safety and how we help people get the investments they need to harden their homes and keep themselves safe. How do we uh, clean up areas that have been polluted and, uh, definitely uh, have folks in neighborhoods very concerned about the impacts on their children and their personal health. How do we make sure that uh, people are getting the services and support that they need on the ground and, and that we're dealing with the homelessness crisis, as I mentioned, um, but making sure that those services are tailored to what people need. Um, some places um, have seen the rise of encampments and people living in those encampments. Some people have seen um, more people wandering around on the streets with mental health issues and, and that are not being addressed. Some people are not uh, having access to um, addiction recovery and uh, substance use disorder facilities. And so how do we make sure that we get people into the right kind of care in the right kind of way that keeps them safe, that keeps our neighborhoods and our families safe, that protects our, our um environment in our neighborhoods and our quality of life. And I think these are a lot of the challenges that people are facing. But you know, we also know that um, as people are looking for how do they put food on their family's table? How do they take care of their kids? How do they make sure that they have uh, resources for necessary healthcare costs? Um, so, you know, uh, community clinics and access to county health ho uh, hospitals, um, you know, so many services that people rely on in the county. Um, you know, we have to make sure that all of those are being met. And I think, you know, after this time of crisis, you know, we're not just recovering from COVID and how it's impacted us over these past couple of years. We're recovering from a system that was broken long before COVID and people are feeling the impacts in a devastating way now. And so we have to really step up and center those people who need our help the most in our work and make sure they're cared for while we uh, continue to build an LA County that we can be proud of. Yeah, you, you, um, some, two of the things that you mentioned are sort of, uh, two, two of the items that were on my list to talk to you about. And one of them is uh, something that's sort of on top of everyone's list, I feel like, which is the unhoused, the homelessness issue and such. Yeah. It's such a, it's a, you know, it's such a tough issue because mm -hmm. um, despite, despite some people talking about it as if it can be solved just in LA, LA City, LA County, California, Southern California. It's not. It's a national issue. It's a it's a it's a nationwide issue. It's just that a, a lot of the unhoused are in California. Half of the unhoused in the states are in California, and a lot of them are in Southern California. So we have uh, this massive challenge that <laughs> it's just not really up to one elected official to solve. I don't even know if the word solve or solution is really. Um, relevant to use, but to work on and improve and get to the next level. You know, there have been some work done, but uh, obviously we have a lot more to do because it's just not meeting. It's not meeting the, 
the challenge. Yeah. And it's also a balancing act because uh, no matter, I feel like elected officials are always caught in between this sort of <laughs> trying to keep everyone happy at the same time, which is impossible. Yeah, you, you can't know. do that. If you, if you, if keeping you, everybody happy, you're not doing anything, and that's not good. Exactly, so. exactly. So I do, I understand the challenge of really tackling this uh, because uh, there's so many viewpoints, and and everyone wants the best solution for them, for their neighborhood, for their street, for their house, and and that's just not going to work. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I'm your host Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Council Member Lindsay Horvath, who is also running for the LA County Board of Supervisors. So, what 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 are some of the tangible things that you plan to do that you see are some um, some challenges that are facing us? Yeah, so I think we have to meet people where they are in their communities and understand uh, the different needs and issues and the ways that homelessness has touched their community in um, in ways that are similar to other areas and then way in ways that are unique. You know, the executive director, former executive director, obviously now um, recently resigned, uh, had a lot of frustration um, uh, with Lhasa. And uh, I, I share that frustration because I think Lhasa has an enormous responsibility placed on its shoulders without the appropriate authority to take action. It came out of a court decision, but it is uh, accountable to the five supervisors, the 15 council members, the county CEO, and the, and the Los Angeles city mayor. When you have that many bosses with different opinions as we see on a regular basis on other issues, it's challenging to see how they're supposed to answer all of those issues without a legitimate partnership and without um, understanding of what's going on in the ground. We have to make sure that the resources that have come out of measures Triple H and H in the city and county respectively are directly seen, um, the results are directly seen in people's neighborhoods. That investment needs to um, be manifest, otherwise people aren't going to continue to tax themselves and give the county and city money to address issues of homelessness and housing if we don't tackle them in ways that they can see. And so what we have been doing in my community is, um, you know, we have employed uh, street teams. We contract with services that also contract with the county. Uh, these services offer pe often hire people who themselves were unhoused. So they have that direct personal experience. They go out every day of the week, meet people where they are, talk about the services that the city or the county provides um, and what's available. They understand, you know, they ask questions to understand uh, what people need in that moment, perhaps they need housing, perhaps they need a shower, perhaps they need addiction recovery, um, you know, and they, we provide them with transportation, we contract with, um, with different organizations to provide housing services, you name it. And but that's not going to happen by people just going to an office somewhere that is far from where they are. Um, you actually have to go out into the streets and meet people. And LA County does have some street teams that go out, but, uh, but just providing somebody a pamphlet of information, in my opinion, is not enough of a contact, is not enough of an effort to help people move right. from a, a situation on the street to safety in housing and in a community. And so in some cases, people have you know been unhoused for an extended period of time, have now found in their minds safety and community um, with others. So sometimes it's not just about getting one person into a housing unit. Sometimes it's about getting people 
six people moved at the same time because they've now become a family or they've become a community uh, of support. And so how do we look at the individual unique circumstances um, that exist within unhoused communities and how do we address those in a way that meaningfully meets their needs, but effectively gets them off the streets and into care. Um, and, and that's what we want to do. And so we've been doing that in my community um, for uh, a number of years now. And, and year after year, I ask our, our staff, you know, how are we doing? Tell me our numbers. And we, we get reports. And about um, 80% of our unhoused population, some years it's just under, some years it's a little over. Um, but we're about to get, we, we are able to get about 80% of our identified unhoused population off the streets into housing services and care. Um, the trouble is the broader region continues to have this epidemic issue. And right. so um, as, as soon as we get people off the streets, there are more who come into our neighborhoods. When people praised the sheriff, for example, for going into Venice and cleaning cleaning up Venice, whatever that means, um, we saw that uh, a lot of people who were unhoused in Venice came to West Hollywood. And some of the safety issues that um, that uh, people saw in, in Venice, um, we started to see in our own community. So it's not enough to just move people around. We actually, in my community, follow through to understand where people go, what service has been received, to what end, and how do we keep them um, in a system of care that ultimately helps them get back on their feet? Additionally, we build um, we build permanent supportive housing in our community and provide housing options within our city, while we also uh, work to um, have housing options um, that provide people the support and care that they need depending on their issues. And of course, we know in my community in West Hollywood, uh, uh, many LGBTQ youth um, uh, come to West Hollywood for safety. Many of our unhoused youth identify as LGBTQ, about 40% we're told. And so we have um, you know, specific needs um, so uh, of a population. So we contract for service with, for example, the LA LGBT Center to help address those issues. So it's culturally competent care. It's meeting people where they are. It's understanding what they need and providing them with the kind of care and support that's going to help them uh, feel safe. So um, that's what we need to see LA County doing more of, getting out in the streets, providing that care, and being um, very aggressive in terms, not, not in terms of uh, cleaning up the streets, but in right. terms of helping people and serving them. Mm -hmm. And we've seen examples of that where um, very consistent, intense service providing has allowed people the safety, security, and presence of mind to move off streets and into and into situations that, um, that are much more long-term sustainable and good for their health. And that's what we want. And um, I think LA County certainly has the resources to be able to do that. Um, sometimes we just need a, a different way to approach it. And I think coming from the local level as I do, um, and before my uh, service in my community, I was a grassroots organizer. So, you know, it's, it's what I know, going out into community, talking with people, understanding what they need and, and helping to meet that need and get the service out of a downtown office is, is very important. And now, you know, we, we're hopefully recovering from COVID. Oh. One knows, doesn't know what's happening, but let's say hopefully we're recovering from COVID and it's taken a huge toll on 
just not just human life, but our economy and, and such. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, you know, recession is cyclical and every 15 years we go into it, you know, yeah. it's, and it, all the signs indicate that we're going to, you know, have uh, some sort of an economic downturn. Mm-hmm. And that coupled with the fact that real estate uh, prices or rent um, are astronomical already, you know, that's uh, sort of creating a lot of challenges for for the next few years to come on top of the, the unhoused mm-hmm. when an average one bedroom is like 2,500, you know, yeah. in, yeah. in, in uh, greater LA. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Council Member Lindsay Horvath, who is also running for the LA County Board of Supervisors. I think there's some even more challenging times to come economically as well. Are there any sort of proactive ways that you see to tackle this? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is something that I think about constantly. I'm a renter myself. I am still paying off my student loans. And, you know, while I uh, look to take care of people, I also look to my lived experience. You know, I am fortunate in my set of circumstances, but I can relate to, you know, the things that are um, topics of uh, kitchen dinner table um, you know, discussions, we need to make sure that we are meeting people's needs and really listening to what people are looking for. Um, You know, a lot of times people uh, don't engage with government and people complain about voter turnout or this or that. But a lot of times it's because they don't know what what government is doing for them, or they, they are so focused on their lives, having to work two, three, four jobs just to make ends meet. They don't have time. They're just hoping that the people who hold these positions of power take seriously the role and responsibility they have to deliver for them. And so I think these issues are most um, of most uh, importance to people right now as we look at um, what will happen with our economy on a national level. We look at you know the day-to-day impacts of things like the cost of gas, the cost of groceries, um, and how do we make sure that people are able to uh, weather these these economic challenges and continue to provide for their families. So we need to make sure that people are making a wage and provide and provided um, health care and resources and benefits in their jobs that allow them to protect their personal health, knowing that they can take a day off from work uh, to be sick so they can take care of themselves and not be sick while they work is important. It should be essential. And that should be a program that's provided at the national level. However, that's not the case. And so at the local level, um, many cities in the county, um, even the state are taking actions in some cases, um, but really it's at that local level, how do we provide that um, level of service? So um, I think thinking about how we provide uh, free or affordable, accessible healthcare, how do we provide uh, food uh, resources and nutrition supplements and um, access to healthy food? How do we um, make sure that people are able to get themselves into good jobs and get support and employment support, job training, getting into a career that allows them growth opportunity so they can provide for their families? I mean, these are all things that we are worried about on a regular basis. And in my community, 
you know, I stepped up to provide hero pay for our frontline workers in groceries and in pharmacies. Um, I authored our policy to have projects labor, labor agreements on um, our muni municipal projects to make sure that um, they are done by people, by skilled labor who are receiving benefits um, that are appropriate for their skill set and work. Um, I've supported our, our hospitality workers who have been in our hotels, again, impacted at the front lines. And again, even before COVID, dealing with issues like sexual assault and harassment and lack of safety, um, those issues existed before COVID. And now, um, you know, people are trying to get back to work so they can take care of their families. How do we make sure that those workplaces are safe for them to do that? So there are a lot of ways what you have raised um, has been manifesting in people's lives. I've heard the heartbreaking stories of people who are like, I have to go back to work so I can take care of my kids. And I, all I want to do is just work hard and take care of my family. And I, and that should be enough. My commitment to that should be enough that our social contract, that should be enough, right? That people are, are trying to take care of themselves and their families. That should be enough. And for the people who need that little bit of help, that's wow. where LA County comes in. That's and I think everything you outline again, you know, the, the point I was trying to make to people listening is that there's a lot at stake. And uh, you may not have been familiar or as familiar about what the County Board of Supervisors do, but uh, they are really essential. In fact, um, a lot of council members and other elected officials locally really um, look to the supervisors for funding and other type of leadership. So um, it's really important to decide uh, who you're going to vote for before you start filling out your ballot. Which brings me to this, you know, endorsements are important and endorsements are uh, promoted because basically when an organization or an individual that's well-respected uh, endorses someone, uh, it means that a collective body has, has said this person meets our values and we think that they're the best person to take this position in. Councilmember Horvath's um, case, uh, they're countless. I was going through your website and I just couldn't get to the end <laughs> to, to take notes. And that's really important. So my last question to you is this, um, what, is, what are the fundamental differences between you and your and the other candidate? Because it's basically between the two of you right now. Yes, we're in a runoff, the two of us. And um, thank you for highlighting the endorsements, uh, not because I'm uh, not for any sort of personal achievement, but the people who have joined our team are remarkable people. I am honored by every endorsement that we've gotten, um, that people believe that the vision that we share, that the team that we've put together, that the way we're approaching these conversations is how they wanna have them in their own neighborhoods and their own families and their own communities um, is really gratifying. And I'm excited because it's not just how we're going to win this race, it's how we're going to change the future for LA County. All of those people who are joining me on this trail are going to be in that boardroom with me. They are going to be the people who help inform my decision-making. They are going to be my advisor. 
answers. They are going to be people I turn to. Now, I want to say also um, that when you look at our endorsers, uh, we were endorsed, for example, by the mayor of Palmdale and the mayor of Compton on the same day. So make no mistake, we have very different points of view reflected in our endorsements. And I highlight that because we want to see, we want everybody to be able to see themselves in our team. And we want to see different points of view. So when I'm making decisions, we don't see, you know, we're not um, suffering from unintended consequences. We're looking and trying to challenge our blind spots. We're trying to be inclusive and see things from multiple points of view before we make those decisions. And so, you know, I I would just say um, my opponent has attacked me for some of my endorsements for, you know, people who are on my team or saying they support me. And I think we should be focused on first and foremost, the issues. Secondly, I think we should be focused on what people really need. Fantastic. Before we go, um, if you would uh, first tell us your specific needs, uh, what you want from the public in terms of support, like uh, if they go to your website, what are some of the the needs that you have? Is it volunteer work? Is it uh, making donations to your campaign or maybe something else? And then if you can give us your website, your URL. Absolutely. So the most important thing is to vote. We need you to vote in November. So please, please vote. And we start, obviously, I hope you'll vote for me, but I just really want people to vote because it's so important. So many people died for our right to vote. So many people in other countries don't have the right to vote. Um, So it's very important that we do that. Um, I would love to have volunteers on our campaign campaign, helping to make sure that we reach each and every part of this district because it's enormous. And we uh, need to talk to all different kinds of people at all different times. So we're going to need a lot of folks to help us do that. You can go to our website, which is lindsayhorvath.com, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, H-O-R-V-A-T-H.com. You can email me at Lindsay Horvath, the number four supervisor 2022 at gmail.com to get more information about our campaign as well. On social media, we're at Lindsay P. Horvath. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Your vote is something I treasure and I hope you'll share it with me. Fantastic. Thank you, council member, for being uh, on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. That was my interview with council member Lindsay Horvath, uh, whom I've had the pleasure of knowing for many years. I've seen her work, her dedication to the city of West Hollywood, uh, you know, up close. Uh, And I'm very excited that she is uh, running for L.A. County Board of Supervisors. Uh, And, uh, you know, thank you, council member Horvath, for being on the show. Uh, Hopefully we'll chat again before the election. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. The Blunt Post with Vic.